0: Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mommy Fox, Christopher Savage Bull Landauer, and David Garrett.
1: Welcome, Savage Cast listeners, to episode twenty-two behind the scenes. So, how's everybody going? This is the Savage Mommy, and this is the Savage Bull. What have you been doing since our last episode, Mister Fox?
0: Well, I am getting ready to start running uh, deadlines noir. Oh, nice! Pretty excited. Uh, I ran it a while back, and it uh, one of one of the. It's for a group we rotate GMS, so a lot of times, unfortunately. We'll get started on on something and then we'll have to rotate GMs and it kind of dies and never gets back. So, I uh, never got back to the other one, but I uh, had a couple people ask me to uh, run it. And so, we're going to do the um, core setting for 1935 New Orleans. So, that actually starts tonight, session zero. So, we're going to go through all the nice, fun session zero stuff, uh, you know, have me rant about electronics at the table because, you know, that's my favorite thing to rant about. Uh, the guys on the other show, uh, the GM Hangout, always make fun of me and give me shit about that because they know how much I hate people playing games and texting and doing shit that's not uh, have anything to do with the game. You know, while we're sitting there at the table, so
1: pay attention, children. Yeah,
0: we'll see how that goes. But I'm excited. I've spent a lot of time. I've I've uh, I've become sort of a uh, Pinterest addict. Um, So finding pictures for all my NPCs and printing out stuff for that and finding, you know, maps, um, you know, floor plans for buildings. Because I don't use maps and minis very often, but I was kind of thinking for this game to – if I just threw out a floor plan of a warehouse on on the table, even on just, you know, an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper and put it on the table, at least it's enough of a visual – that people could say you know I'm in you know room X I'm you know in this area you know and then I can elaborate and they can elaborate on you know what's in that area what's going on but I think that'll give enough of an idea for people to know where they are that um, they won't have to just do all theater of the mind. Because that works. I'm fine with that. That's how I prefer to run. But sometimes when you're when you're trying to get positioning, even just having a vague idea, rough map, I think really helps. So it, it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. I've got uh, a, a good group of players. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'll, I'll give a report next uh, time we record.
1: Nice. Yeah, last night I actually managed to stop in. I didn't get to play much, but I stopped in on a game. Uh, Joe Thomas was running... Um, Freedom Squadron with a plans and operations guide and kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum of uh, theater of mind versus um, miniature warfare-esque stuff. Joe had maps out and little miniatures on the standees and then like uh, cards printed out with all the operations, op- you know, items. And it was cool, though, because, you know, he laid the cards out and like. You know you could put they put their tokens on the successes so that you know as they got so many successes on whatever to, whatever card they were doing whether it was espionage or whatever else um the you know, little tokens were stacking up, so you could keep track of that you know as the game progressed but yeah Joe likes
0: production value oh so yeah he does it was yeah, fun. all of his games are lots of maps, lots of minis, yeah, I should take him pictures but the uh yeah no so what game. did you think of uh, so so kind of dovetail off of that what did you think of the what you saw of the operations, manual I don't think I've to see things. enough of it. I think okay. I need to read it first because um, it's it's very it's very intriguing. It's a very sounds like a very cool system and a very cool way to do things. Um, you know, I think it leads from what I've seen. Um, I'm like you; I haven't seen a lot of it, but to me, it seems like they really, you know, Sean really wanted to lead toward that fast, furious fun.
1: Yeah, the only thing I I double checked actually, because so Joe has been running G.I. Joe games here for like years, decades. And of course, this is the theme of the game. And so when Sean came through and wanted to do a GM, uh, G.I. Joe thing, like, I was at the table when, when Sean came over to Joe and was like, I need, we need to talk, man. We need to talk. And uh, so I knew that Sean was going to be, you know, using some infra- inspiration and so like, Joe literally, I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, he statted up like 100 Joe characters, not right, like yeah. random yeah, characters. That. Like, in the comics, there are a lot more G.I. Joe characters than there are, like, from the show. I was a show kid, I didn't really read the comics, but the, um, He went through and like literally statted up like all those characters. So I was like, you know, Joe's name better make it in that book. Or else <laughs> SPF is like a total like hypocrite. I think I remember SPF ranting one time about, you know, thanking people. And I'm like, Joe's name better be in that book. So the one time I looked at the the one of the like the drafts of the book, it was like the first page. I'm like, is Joe's name there? And sure enough, right there, it says additional materials, Joe Thomas. So Excellent. Like, That's awesome. Good for you, SPF, for not being a hypocrite. So, That's
0: right. Good job. And good job for Joe for like keeping the G. I. Joe alive. That's a that's a lot of work to to do that many characters. I mean, obviously, Savage World is not that difficult to do a conversion um, of characters, but a hundred plus of them—that's right? quite a bit.
1: And I think even like at some point during the comics, they actually released like stat cards for the like Joes. I mean, they weren't like designed for Savage World, right. or d and need anything? But like, they were like stat cards you could kind of build off those and. Um, anyways, I, I really like to just get into the crunch and read it. Um, and I'm kind of, I don't know what I, I want to read it now or wait till I have my meta crunch system for my game I'm working on a little more finished because, you know, it's, it's hard to like be true and, insp- you know, get inspiration and or not steal stuff if there's another good idea. So right. obviously working on like, you know, I love meta crunch. I think it's fun. I think the, um, you know, yeah, you're bolting stuff onto Savage World, so in any kind of universe, the more people play with it, the more kludgy and clunky it's going to get. Uh, at least you know within systems. But I kind of like that. I like the fact that Savage you could use Savage Worlds as written to handle combat and to handle a lot of stuff at the table, and then add other modular crunch systems to evoke different feelings, to do different stuff. And so, like for my game, I want to do something that's along the lines of you know. Uh, interstate like uh, city states or nationalities, kind of warfare stuff. And so not just war, but like um, you know if you're gonna if you're gonna challenge other other city states, um, there's kind of a, a, an existing military um, acronym called dime, which is you know diplomacy, information, military, and economic. And then for this setting, I'd add religion as well, and uh, it's, you know, kind of really,
0: dimer.
1: Yeah, or call it mired. Uh, oh yeah, there right? you go. Yeah, you because know, you can play you know play Yeah, you know, dimer or, or mired, but the um and just use those as kind of like your character sheet stats, and you you know, you could assign dice values, or whatever. Um, but that's the kind of thing. Like I, 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 when someone explained to me like, oh yeah, there's like there's totally there's espionage and there's other kind of you know, there's uh, physical, like, uh, actual attacks, you know, and Sean's like, oh, well, those are kind of two of the things I'm working on as well. Like, you know, you got I is the information, and that's basically spying. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, diplomacy. So th- those are kind of things like, you know, I want to kind of have a model that allows for a little faster resolution for kind of those big – big things it would take forever like if you were writing it as a book it could be an entire novel but i want something like no the characters get to go on missions they change the dice values of the diplomacy or the intrigue the espionage or the military stuff or the economic stuff or the social stuff whatever it is they they're you know they they however they want to go about influencing um, you know the C- clashing of clans or the city states or nationalities and then after they do their missions you, you know they've set their their their, their die types. you roll some shit out and you've resolved it and versus you know how do i really understand how this whole country is going to react to this whole kind of stuff so um
0: sorry you just triggered me just for just one second Uh-oh. you've been triggered you, you mentioned clash of clans don't play Clash of Clans at my damn table when I'm running a game. <laughs> right? Put the phone away, children. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the first thing. When you say Clash of Clans, I'm like, oh, oh, oh trigger, trigger. I've been triggered.
1: So yes, yeah, so I'm not sure if I want to dive into Sean's writing yet to see if, you know, you know I'd probably put, put more of my stuff down as far as Crunch and then see what he did.
0: Um, but the... Uh, I could kind of see it either way because I, I agree with your, I think you have a very valid point. I, I was going to say concern. I don't know if it's a concern, but a very valid point that you you don't want to be reading his stuff and then you know you're trying to come up with yours and all of a sudden you've Morphed it into his because that's in your mind, yeah. And 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 it, you know, wouldn't be something you'd be doing on purpose or or you know, trying to steal stuff. But it would it, it could happen that you're just like, oh well, that kind of morphed into something more similar to what was in you know book X than I had really anticipated. Maybe I shouldn't have read that ahead of time,
1: right? And it's it's not. It's not and the, the, there's definitely the option of like the the unintentionally borrowing or stealing, and, and, but it happens like, like like oh, you're watching a TV show and all of a sudden the TV show has a cool plot line. You're like, I want to play that or I want to run that and right. suddenly you know you want to morph your campaign oh well I was watching Mission Impossible last month and so all my guys were going to do spy shit now I'm watching Master Commander so I want to do traveling on the ocean shit No, I'm not going to watch you know this other film and you know oh we'll come, come on
0: say it I'm going to watch Firefly so now I want to do Firefly right everyone wants to do Firefly yeah we, we had that discussion on uh, on Wednesday or on Thursday night on the other show it was kind of funny because we were talking about westerns and kind of of course, you can't talk about westerns in role playing without the inevitable. Somebody mentions Firefly coming up,
1: right? Oh, and that's the thing, though. So I'm, I'm I'm back to playing Borderlands too, and that is totally a western. I mean, like the the music they use, like the, the they pick um, like Cage the Elephant and um, a, a band called The Heavy, and the songs they pick, both Cage the Elephants, "Ain't No Rest for the Wicked," and The Heavies, um, "Like No Place for No Hero." Um, both of those have these – if you listen to the songs, they have these uh, kind of uh, spaghetti western chords and motifs in them. And they're definitely uh, upbeat rock uh, kind of songs. But um, and they've got the western influences. And the game is like that too. Borderlands is this game where you're on a planet Pandora, but you run around with guns and you're just shooting crap. And it's it's kind of a frontier-esque, but right. it's got a lot of sci-fi. And and so it's very much like, like – um, Firefly was and that you're taking the Western tropes and the Western ideals and you're forwarding it into space. So it's, you know, space opera. But like that's the thing. Like Star Wars is a Western.
0: Oh yeah, Um, completely.
1: You know, and it's got a little more soap opera with it. but And that's kind of a very American appealing genre of freedom, guns, you know, uh, moral uncertainty. But you got some paladins and some outlaws and, you know. The uh, you kind of just play it out without this necessarily the idea of some like looming overwhelming state. And um, actually, it was interesting. It was interesting talking. I was talking to Gilbert. Um, He he invited me onto a new project they're doing um, called Rockopolis. And so it's an Italian game company, and they're putting out a. Uh it's a board game now and it's a, an RP they're creating an RPG setting out of it. And literally you play a rock band and your you're, the goal is to run around. I and, saw that.
0: That looks so cool. Right?
1: It looks fun, right? And so he's like, hey, you want to do one sheet? I'm like, yes, I'll do a one sheet, absolutely. So very similar, like I was talking to Jobert when we were talking about that project and, and about his experiences in America and like how different Colorado was from like New York. And and I think a lot of it, a lot of the difference between like a European attitudes and American attitudes are I think Europe's a little more accustomed to the notion of the state being this overwhelming, controlling, you know, parent thing, and Americans, at least a good chunk of us, have this kind of, yeah, no, leave me alone, freedom, right. yeah, don't tell me what to right? do, don't tell me what to do, <laughs> kind of shit. So, anyways, it's interesting to kind of bring that, that stuff into games. Like you look at like what kind of games are popular here versus there, and um, but they actually so total segue, but <laughs> legit, it's on topic. The um, next week we're recording with this guy named Caleb Sunstead, and he's the game master and host of a Savage. Let's World. say phenomenal. It's awesome. Okay, it's really great. Like the production value, you're spot on. The drama's really good. But it's a actual play podcast set in Deadlands called Sounds Like Crows, spelled C R O W E S.
0: It's so good.
1: So yeah. So tell me a little about it. Like you know, we'll give people a little preview, but like you introduced it to
0: me. So yeah. And I don't even. Uh, it's, it's sad to say but i don't remember where i heard about it but you know grabbed it i listen i listen to a lot of podcasts at work that's how i get through my work day and just even after listening to the very first one yeah i, I don't want to give a, a lot because we're going to ask him a lot of these questions but the first thing that i noticed about it that i that i loved about it um they're about 45 minute long episodes and very cinematic a lot of their their talk is from camera point of view, and a lot of things like that. And the story, it's just it's got a really compelling, very good story. But the other thing I like is their role players. So occasionally they get a little goofy, which I love. Dick jokes, was that you know stuff no. like you know, a good, there are a bunch of guys sitting around a table role playing, which is you know we all know all about that and how uh, we turn into twelve year olds and uh but you know listening to episode or listening to the first season, he ended it on such a great cliffhanger. I can't wait for season two to come out, but then he put out three or four God my memory is is shot today three or four episodes with three other characters um one of them was uh an agent um, worked for the agency, one was a a German doctor but even those those three guys just playing through this short little session was great. You know, I hope he gets back to those characters.
1: Yeah, so we're going to put a link in um, this episode to the Sounds of Crows podcast so you guys can get a head start on listening to it. So when we do our interview, you're on board.
0: The, yeah, that's, um, a good, that's a good thing. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, that's that's a very, very good thing to do.
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, there's, I think, 21 episodes, 20 of which are content, and one's like a holiday special that's non-canonical. Right, um, yeah. Still pretty good to listen to, though. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the basic plot is it's a group of brothers by blood and choice who are avenging a uh, certain event that happens to their family. And um, there's really good – I mean, the thing, the thing I think is, is compelling about it is the overarching narrative is good. You know, definitely um, you know, kind of a solid Western theme. But they've established different sorts of relationships between the brothers, and Caleb mentions early in the show that, you know, this this uh, scenario, this uh, campaign is inspired by his own real-life brothers. And you kind of – you definitely get that feeling. That yeah, yeah, definitely. The, uh, the interpersonal conflicts and friendships and and grudges and histories. Um, and, and they don't just come out and tell you them. Like you kind of start in the middle of things um, and you learn about these relationships as the – Episodes go on, and there's one. There's like this one character, Lucky, and you're kind of like, why do they keep saying that about Lucky? Why do they keep saying that about Lucky? And then you're like five or six or seven episodes in before you really get the story.
0: And we want, and we will not spoil it. So right? if and you want to find out about Lucky, go listen to the show. Yeah, and uh, obviously we're, we'll ask uh, Caleb a, a little bit about Lucky because he's a he's a very uh, interesting character.
1: Yeah, and they're all they're all pretty great. Yes. So yeah. The um, so yeah definitely check out Sounds Like Crows. Um, we'll put a link in. Uh, and you know,
0: prep for our interview with them. So and I have a question for you about a Kickstarter that I just saw. Yeah. Sovereign Stone, Larry Elmore. Did you ever play Sovereign Stone? Wasn't that a TSR pr- uh, property uh, oh, back, back in the, in the day? day. El- oh,
1: Elmore was huge. Was he did like the Dragonlance
0: covers? Yeah. And he did some cover. Yeah. And um, when I saw that that uh, that's up, it's funded. Uh, you know, I'm not even sure how how long ago the Kickstarter started, but uh, you know, I just happened to see that, and and it uh, the the name is what kind of caught me. I'm like Larry Elmore, I know that name. Oh, and like you right. said, the Dragonlance covers. And then didn't he do? Okay, I'm gonna embarrass myself now. But there's oh, we are not we are not role playing historians. Um, in no, in
1: Deadlands book, the picture did Elmore do the one the famous no picture, no I think not, that was, was Underwood was it Brom? Oh
0: Brom, that's Brom did that one yeah
1: okay the other other big name the okay. other big name
0: yeah he did that he did the, uh, the the original deadlands with with a uh, stone the stone on the cover yeah, yeah on the, two, the cover the two, yep. guns. Okay. two guns yep got it yeah you know uh, there, so there's not a lot of I, I was looking you know I, I know we talk a little bit about Kickstarter's occasion but there's, I didn't see a ton right now and that's really surprising me because there always seems to be uh, a ton of of Kickstarters, And that's, uh, you know, something that the, the Wild Die guys talked about last time. So uh, we won't rehash what they talked about. But, uh, you know, there's the Lankmar. They're calling it a booster uh, yeah. Kickstarter. It's just it's a short Kickstarter for a, for a, um, I guess you would call it. I don't want I hate, to. I hate to say splat book. But uh it's kind of what though. it is—a splat book um, for like seafaring adventures and things like that. So that's out. You know, that's already been. But, and, you know, as long as you got pirates on the brain, why not? Right? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you can, know, and and it sounds like from the the sounds of things with Pinnacle um, that that's something that they want to do more of. Um, they were kind of doing this. Um, if you read some of the posts from Shane about why are we doing this? Why are we calling it a booster? Why are we? Why are we running? A short Kickstarter. And a few of his points were one is that unfortunately for their company, Kickstarter is their best avenue to get product out there to customers. And they do more Kickstarter than they do brick and mortar. Yeah. And it's just much easier for them to get that out there and get their product out to people. Via Kickstarter, and I can totally see that. And so, we may, I'm hoping, um, sounds like we may see more of these kind of short Kickstarters for one book with not a lot of extra fluff, not a lot of extra um, stretch goals. Might see one for Riffs, might see one for Last Parsec, which would be great because Last Parsec hasn't had anything put out for some time. You know, you've got your three core books which is a lot of material. And then you've got just the the last Parsec core book. But they haven't really put out anything more for that for some time. And if this works for them and this, this gives them that shot, maybe we can see more small projects come out that are going to start giving those products that haven't had support the support that people want.
1: Oh, and there's another thing um, for their Flash Gordon Kickstarter. There's actually like a late pledge manager open that's actually going gangbusters for them. They mentioned so yeah, I saw. I saw if it. you
0: didn't get in on Flash, you can now actually get in on the pre-order. And that was not that was not something that I was aware of until both Flash and Freedom Squadron both did a, a late pledge. Uh, I didn't even know that was something that was available. So, yeah, so, you know, things like that are still out there if, if you guys are interested in um, getting those. The One for Freedom Squadrons already closed, unfortunately. So um, at this point, if you didn't, didn't get in on the late pledge or you didn't pledge to start, um, you're going to have to probably wait for that to hit your uh, brick-and-mortar store or RPG Now and those types of things. So it's going to be a little while probably before um, you're going to be able to get your hands on that if you didn't uh, back it. Um, already, but
1: the interesting reality of the, the industry where it is now is, I mean, you know, we looked into this, um, and and here's an interesting thing I learned about Kickstarter and just getting into brick and mortar stores and all that kind of stuff is that the, um, for true Kickstarters, like we ran a true Kickstarter, like our book would not have come to fruition if it weren't for Kickstarter and (laughs) not not um, at all. No way. But for other companies, you know, obviously like Pinnacle and other companies where, you know, you already have an established, you know, little war chest and, you know, you're professionals and have done this, you know, and you have contacts and all that kind of stuff. Well, the the issue of getting into brick-and-mortar stores is, one, brick-and-mortar stores are carrying less and less product on their shelves, period. And that, you know, the less RPG they carry versus board games, which everyone wants to carry more in their big clunky boxes and all that kind of crap, Um you know the the less fertile ground for everybody. You know the 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 less RPG-only players are going to go into you know their local friendly game stores and find things to buy. But also this the whole idea of the if you want to get into into game stores through distribution. Apparently, like what we did was we you know, we basically printed on demand for what the demand was for our book and a little bit more. You know when we got from the Kickstarter. Uh, apparently, you don't do that otherwise. You know if you're if you're going to go trying to get into distribution you pick a, a a production number based upon what your Chinese distributor and printer says is going to be the cheapest possible that you can get the book.
0: Right. Where can we get a, a break? Right. How many do we get to print for the cheapest amount?
1: Yeah. And then that might be 1,000 books or 1,500 books or 2,000 books. And, doesn't, and you don't really care so much how many people on the Kickstarter order, but you're going to print the same number no matter what because that's the number that gets your price per book low enough that you can put into the distribution chain. And that's where you start getting the, you have to produce the book for like under $5. And then, you know, the your initial chain person, they want to take their 10%. And then the store wants a 40% discount. And then, da, da, da. so, you know, all those people want their big cuts of it. So you literally, to make any money on the book, have to create it for like, you know, a few dollars. And that's not realistic for small print runs. You need to do big print right, runs exactly. to get those kind of discounts. And, um... So then, you know, you do the, you know, then those people do their Kickstarters, they put their books out, you know, send them to backers, and then any, basically anything they don't send to backers goes immediately into distribution, you know, uh, at a close enough time to the Kickstarter that people will want to put it in their stores because it's still, you know, being advertised as being new and fresh and people will pull it off the shelves. But the, um, you, know, you know, I read the industry um, groups now. Uh, like you know on Facebook and stuff like that and people are you know a lot of the, the store managers are like well if you haven't considered us before your Kickstarter we don't want your excess stock afterwards you know and they're really kind of it's really kind of a nasty hard thing to do and uh, and a lot of it is just dominated by board games now versus oh yeah books yeah and board game kickstarters are
0: just humongous right and, and it's, it's like you said it's the same in the stores you know there's there there's a game store um that I go to a lot right by my house um, called enchanted grounds It's a great local game store in in Littleton, Colorado. And their RPG stuff is two bookshelves. Not even, you know, two kind of wide bookshelves kind of in the corner. Yeah. and and Everything else is board games. Now...
1: Almost all of one of those is Pathfinder,
0: too. Pathfinder and Fantasy Flight stuff. Yeah. You know, I was just in there the other day, and they have one... Row, of Savage World stuff and everything else is is dominated by I I will call these I mean the big three now because I kind of consider Fantasy Flight one of the big three so you're looking at Watsi, uh, Pizo with Pathfinder and Fantasy Flight mm-hmm. and Fantasy Flight is going to be you know taking more space now with Genesis because they've come out with with their own kind of generic run anything you want based off of our narrative dice system and they've already put out their first fantasy campaign now i don't won't won't get into my rant about fantasy flight because i I do have some issues with them but this isn't a a fantasy flight rant show so uh but you know they're going to start taking up some space as well um you know so there's going to be less and less space and you know more and more board games are coming out and I even think that stores are seeing less board games coming to them, you know, than they used to because m- most things are coming out on Kickstarter, you know, and they're they're looking for, you know, get all that money and and put out, uh, you know, the the twenty five uh, different stretch goals and, you know, I just think that's that's kind of just the way things are going.
1: And, well, and it also seems that the, the even on Kickstarter, the evolution there is that. You get the, I mean, it's kind of quality control, but also just, you know, um, they'll they'll wait for the one game that goes huge, that goes into the millions. and then
0: the new Batman game.
1: They'll do a second print run, and the second print run seems to be where, you know, a lot more stores get on board and that kind of stuff. Yeah, like Gloomhaven. Yeah. Gloomhaven did that. Right, second printing, right, exactly that. Yeah, the first printing was, you know. In the tens of thousands of dollars, and then the second one was just yeah.
0: huge. Uh, Dinosaur Island is another great board game that just had a second printing that went to Kickstarter, and they added on a standalone game and an expansion and a couple other things to it. But they went to Kickstarter for their second printing as well because their first printing sold out.
1: Yeah, and it's just interesting to see how, how, how all that works. Yeah. And, you know, one yeah. works, one doesn't, but
0: well let's uh let's move let's move forward. We've got a couple of uh, topics that we kind of wanted to touch base on. Is there any particular order you want to cover this stuff in? Uh,
1: well, if the first one's easy, pretty yeah, simple and easy. We got a, uh, a fan letter that
0: praised our improving sound quality. As compared to our first episode, right? And, yeah, and, and key, the key there is improving. Improving. We're, we're, we're nowhere. We're not great. We're not uh, in a uh, enclosed room with foam on the walls and thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment. But uh, I think we've improved. Yeah. So uh, they, they asked uh, if we give a little rundown on like what we kind of actually
1: use, and Fox has taken care of most of this along the way. But the, uh, I'm sitting in front of it with all the little. Um, code numbers and names and stuff. So, uh, basically, at this point, we have a mixer, like a four-mic mixer. It's a Zenyx X E N Y X Q twelve hundred two mixer. It's got four mic inputs, um, and then a bunch of other like uh, extra inputs of the um, the coax kind of uh, style. And so that's kind of a, a necessity because like Fox and I talk at very different like sound levels. And so you can independently mix our mics going into the board. Um, you can also plug in, like when we do Skype calls or phone calls with people who are remote, you can take the output from your cell phone or your computer and like slap it into the mixer. Um, and that's nice. So basically it's got um, some compression. So the highs and the lows get compressed.
0: It um, makes those phone interviews so much better and easier to do.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of that stuff is like, yeah, you know, we try to figure out how to do like at one point we were trying to do recording our voices and then Skype on a computer and it required so many weird patches into the the the, the recording programs that we were you know, we were getting feedback on some people and then I was like, Oh my god, let's just let's just try to remove isolate the the problems and, and having a mixer is, is a uh, key so we picked that up for you know like less than
0: 200 bucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and let's uh let me let me throw that out here real quick and then we'll we can just keep going running through. This is not like I said a, you know, thousands of dollars of setup. I think we probably everything we have what under 500. Probably. I mean I think the mixer was maybe, like 100 maybe right around 500. five maybe I don't know maybe maybe Right around 500 or a little bit less. Well,
1: Yeah. We, there's also a, uh, the, the issue of um, gaming, a certain electronic store giveaway that happened that I'm awesome about. That we, sh- we got a pair of microphones that were like $600 of loan. We haven't used those yet, but they're kind of cool. Yeah.
0: We have wireless mics for conventions and things. Yeah.
1: But that was actually pretty expensive. It was fun, anyways. We'll we'll talk about that later. The um, <laughs> so so yeah, the mixer's is kind of a, a first step, and we have like legit microphones. I did not know what brand they are, but they're yeah they stage microphones. There you know, you actually have to have a microphone cable that plugs into the bottom of them and a microphone stand. Um, and, you know, nice nice little foam things. We don't have the little like spit guards yet, so if we pop our peas, um, that's probably why we don't have those on uh, little filters yet. But. Um, so that was the other equipment is actually buying legit microphones. Uh, a
0: Behringer, uh, I think they're called. Yeah, Behringer microphones, yeah. Good deal. Yes, I think that's correct. I think that's how you say it.
1: So we got a, you got a set of four of those. And then um, our recording device is a uh, Zoom Handy Recorder H4n. Um, that's nice because you can record with it by itself, like if you're out in the field. So like when Fox went to Gen Con and did in the field you know, a recording, we just recorded directly to it. Um, it's like an all-in-one. And then, uh, but it also records nicely with MP3 or WAVE um, with inputs.
0: So that's our recording device that we then take to edit. Yeah. And um, you know, a lot of people will record, like our, our, our mixer is a USB mixer. So we can go into a computer and go into like Audacity and things like that. But, you know, Chris found out we tried that and just going straight into the small zoom recorder just works just as well and it's not we don't have nearly the difficulty in spending the time trying to get everything set right that we did when we I, we would use my my macbook and we'd get all kinds of feedback and it just it never seemed to work as well and you know figured out how to make it work with the small zoom it's it's really easy to do and I think it it works just great as the recording device.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that probably the issue there is like the it's amazing how many cords suddenly start showing up, and then if you cross cords, you get you know, and certain things need to have electricity pumped to them to work correctly. And um, so, for instance, like one of the things we, uh, Chris just picked up and added, and which is totally a nice addition, is a um, a little uh, stereo headphone amplifier. And we picked this up at the uh, sound store. It's like a micro amp HA four hundred. And um, it's just nice because we can individually set the volume of the headphones. And we also use it as the main output to our recorder. So we used to record off the board. The board has various outputs. You have, like, sound effects outputs and then, you know, studio outputs and all this kind of stuff. And um, now we just use it for – we also consider the the Zoom as a pair of headphones that we're recording to. And that way – um, you know, Fox and I can hear at good levels and then the, re- the level that we send to the recorder
0: is a good. So
1: that's really kind of our setup.
0: now. And I say, we- speaking of headphones, we didn't use headphones a lot in the beginning. I think it's really important to have yeah, kind of headphones mistake. because you can hear yourself, you can hear the other person much better and it just leads to better quality having the headphones. So I'd say if you want to do a podcast and you're not using headphones get yourself a a a way to do that a way to use a set of headphones with what you're recording with uh it'll make things so much better
1: yeah well that's the thing too is like you know some of the early episodes like uh, i had to use my primitive knowledge of, of audio editing with audacity like to lower my volume and raise fox's volume um and that's not as nearly as much of a problem when you have headphones like you can just actually just modulate your own voice or modulate the you know change the actual inputs on the mixer and um the I think the st- headphones we picked up are oh, Sennheisers, um, so they're not bad. They're a little more studio style versus like that crap Beats. I still don't get how. Apple bought Beats. Like, okay, so here's, here's a weird, small rant. (laughs) So the, um, I've been watching this great documentary and it's either on HBO or Netflix, probably HBO. And it's called like the great ones. And it's, um, Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre. And it's like their stories coming up. And Iovine is a music producer and Dr. Dre is obviously famous rapper and producer. And Dre and Iovine made a fortune selling their headphone company Beats to Apple. And Apple's always been this like technological. Their their style was, you're going to pay a lot more for our machine, but we'll give you quality hardware at least, like right, you know, eighty percent out of one hundred percent, eight out of ten kind of quality hardware. And so on PC, you could buy ten out of ten, but you'd pay for it, and you probably have to do it yourself. And um, whereas companies like Gateway and Dell, like oh, we'll give you a six out of ten or four out of ten, but you know you won't pay a lot for it, and. Uh, Beats headphones, I mean, obviously there's the style issue, but like uh, uh, most audiophiles I know, are, they're like notoriously shitty headphones. Like the actual <laughs> internal components are very crappy and not worth all the money you're paying.
0: We apologize to all Beats headphone lovers. We know you're no longer listening to our podcast. Right? We're going to get sued by Apple. It would be awesome if you get sued by Apple.
1: And um, <laughs> So it just seemed really bizarre to me that Apple would invest billions, with a B, billions of dollars, into a headphone company that's like, you know, engineering wise crap, but apparently it was more for, Hey, we, we, yeah, we like the market that beats appeals right. to and yeah. that kind of stuff. But yeah, anyways, bring, a, bring in, bring that money. So watch, watch that, watch the, watch the, that series. The, I think it was called the great ones. Um, it really fascinating documentary series, but the, um, yeah, that's really what we do. We've got a mixer for actual mics and mic stands. Um, the mic around for the headphones and a zoom recorder, and that's our gear. A lot of little, little like connecting cords and stuff like that. And, then, <laughs> and tons of cords. You know, we'll use a, actually we'll use a cell phone um, when we want to do Skype or a call. Call some like Matt Ralls has been on the show a
0: couple times. Just give him a call on the cell phone and pump that audio. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do for uh, our Caleb interview. We'll just give him a call and yeah, bring right him in. bring him in. Yeah, so it'll, so it'll
1: work out great. That's our current setup. If you guys are um, you know interested in that, but we had some other kind of cool reader questions, so.
0: Yeah. So we were, I was uh, out uh, perusing uh, the Google Pluses and uh, found uh, a couple of questions. And one really kind of stuck out to me because I have the same question that this person had. And so I thought we might want to talk about this. So this is uh, Matthias Brunzel. Uh, and this is just, he just threw this out to Google+, and so uh, I thought, let's talk about it. It uh, says, are you generally satisfied with the pace characters advance in Savage Worlds, or are there people who have modded or changed it somehow? I'm generally satisfied with giving an average 2 XP per session, plus or minus 1, but I'm curious to know if others do it differently than what the book says. And I will come right out and I will say, yes, I do it differently. So how do you do it? Well, the funny thing is is, is I've, I've done it a... Uh, multiple different ways and i think my players sometimes are like jesus chris can you just decide on how we're going to get xp and just stick with it so a couple ways i did it uh the first way i did it is what i've heard other people do maybe not the best way is give an advance when you feel like they deserve an advance don't worry about xp so much they complete a plot point or they complete one of a session of your game if you don't run plot points. However you want to do it, uh, maybe call it milestones. They complete a milestone, uh, which is what another uh, company and another game does as one of their variants. Um, but as a milestone and just say, well, you guys now get to take an advance. Um, the other way that I've done it, and again, I'm trying to decide, I'm going to talk to my group tonight with Deadlines Noir, is I've done and every other session. So two, 2 XP, 3 XP, 2 XP, 3 XP. So that basically every other session, get they're advance. getting an advance. Yeah. And I don't know how that, I don't know if I like that as well as I thought I was going to because it's not, I think the, the word I want to use is it's not as organic because they could get an advance in the middle of a Plot pointer in the middle of a game session, you know, not 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 the session itself, but you know what I'm saying? Is like you're we're in the middle of the jungle and they're halfway through the, the the session and we quit for the night, and then they magically get an advance. So I don't know if if I like it as well doing it that way. The reason I was doing it that way is because it made it easier. It was less to think about, and it was a consistent. Rise in level. Um, you know, you you knew that every two sessions that your players were going to go up and advance, and so you have that that steady progression. And I think that also helps. Depending on how long you're planning on playing, it would also assist in getting them to some of those um, higher ranks. You know, I've run a ton of games in Savage Worlds, and for my friends and things, and I don't think I've ever run a game where I've gotten them up to heroic.
1: Yeah, if that's I mean, the right
0: order, I can never remember the order: novice, legendary, some Legendary is the highest. the highest. Yeah. Wow, we are losing Savage Worlds points quick for not knowing the the exact ranks. What
1: well, novice, seasoned, veteran, and heroic, legendary? Legendary. Yeah, I think you're
0: right. Yeah. So I don't think I've ever gotten anybody up to up to heroic. I had the cheat sheet on my back of my hand, I had the look. So like high school that, geometry. That's really. the that's that's the two ways I've thought about doing it. I mean core is one to three XP per session based on what the party gets done. If they have a major milestone, you give them three. If they're just kind of they don't get a lot done, you maybe give them two. Uh, if they sit around and play on their phones the whole time you give them one or zero No, i'm kidding but yeah. you know so that that's kind of the two ways i do it
1: the um uh, yeah if you're going to do it narratively i kind of like giving out um an advancement right before the big bad battle on well, the finale, but final battle. Oh, that makes sense. And just so you're playing slightly newer updated characters right before the big bad and probably one right after too. It was like those sessions are interesting in the sense that they're, they're a resolution usually. Um, they're kind of a, 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 a climax, whether it's a six season finale kind of climax or a mid season finale climax, um, in TV terms. And, you know, just allowing the characters to be just a little bit better and you can challenge them more uh, make it a little bit different. Um, uh, and then you know reward them at the end. So those are kind of like back to backs. Um, that yeah, it might be a little bit too much, you know, money Hallism. But I don't think so. I think for you know, if you spend a lot of time, you know, the problem with uh, you know the, the big bad finales are, you know, it could be an entire session or two that's just combat or you know not as much, um, you know, narrative and running around and character building. And so um, most most advances in that kind of regard are. Kind of mechanical in the sense, um, you, know, be, you know, becoming better at combat or you know, becoming better, at, at, you know, at your character and what your character can do, and so you know, like before and after the big bads are usually good. Uh, otherwise, yeah, it doesn't make too much sense to give advancements out like yeah in the middle of things that you know, if, if it doesn't feel interesting and appropriate, then you don't have to do it. And um, I
0: could see people people can look at that in two different ways. I think. The way I looked at it as it it didn't feel organic because maybe they're taking an an advance in the middle of the jungle and it's had nothing to do with what their character's been doing or anything to do with what has gone on in the past. And so I guess what I'm trying to say there is that you kind of have to look at that one two different ways is how – much do you want those advances to reflect. tie in and reflect on what yeah. your characters have been doing or are you that gm who doesn't care about that and and an advance in the middle of a session is like okay well you've been playing for x amount of time so uh now you get to take an advance i don't really care what you take or or you know what your character's done in the past or if it's i don't want to say oh, god character appropriate I don't know if that's what I'm looking They're for, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Or resume appropriate, right? Resume, you know. yeah. I like that resume appropriate. Maybe you don't care about that. Maybe that's not something that that you and your players are worried about. Maybe that's too uh, micromanaging uh, of of running the game. So you kind of you, you have to weigh that as well. Yeah, and
1: I think the you know running more convention games than home games. There's a, uh, there's a mix of that, and I, and I I can see both sides of that argument because on one side. There's only a there's obviously if you have a character concept in your head that's you know somewhere in the uh, seasoned or veteran area where you've got you know you you really kind of do have stats that reflect what you can do and tell a story um, for a character and you have that in your head usually there's a very direct way to get there or an optimal way to get there and there's it's it's almost impossible for a game master unless you're really looking at the detail of the character sheets every session and you know where your players want to go with those to make sure that you are exercising the advancements the characters want to take. Right. Right. And, yeah. um, so, you know, it's a lot of extra work and you know, I think if you, if you do it, you can be amazing. I mean, that would, that would totally fit in with kind of the we're telling the stories that the characters want to act in and behave in because they're, you know, the, the, the person they want to be is organically becoming that person. Um, and maybe organics the wrong word, maybe this is a little more railroading you almost have to railroad them into, if they, you well, know, I, I, want to put, you know, put my spy you know, um, my fighting die up to die types in the next, you know, um, several sessions. Well, damn, you're going to have to be doing a lot of fighting then. Or if, you know, you right. want to be tracking, we're going to have to do that. Um, that might be cool though. That might be cool, um, a thing to do. It's kind of an idea, and we'll see how this works. If you could uh, have characters create their starting character and then turn in a character sheet for that character in three or four advancements or ten advancements or you know up an entire what do they call them? Uh, are they actually levels between you know, novice and seasoned and veteran and advanced? ranks. It, ranks. Okay, yes, yeah, so ranks. ranks. Yeah, they um, actually do. Uh, uh, well, where do you?
0: What does your character envision themselves when they're all grown up? See, I, had a, I had a friend of mine who uh, – my friend Daniel who was playing in one of my groups in a Deadlands game. And he was playing a blessed. Uh, it was a blessed who was a, in a uh, boxer in his former life, we'll call it. And he basically sat down and plotted out his character.
1: Yeah. Did and exactly what you're saying.
0: You. He mm-hmm. kind of plotted out his character of kind of what do I want to take – at each advancement and i think he focused more in on edges and skills but you know make sure that if you're going to do that that you're looking at those once per rank attribute advances right. but yeah, and some of those things are important to map out because you find yeah. yourself oh crap i can't do that now and whatever. maybe maybe by mapping that out you know you're gonna play to that roadmap now is that a good thing a bad thing i don't know is it is it forcing the hand of the GM? Are you expecting the GM at that point to cater to your mapped out player that you've mapped out to legendary? Um, maybe that's not something that that's going to be something that the GM is wanting or able to do. But it could
1: be a great tool. But it could I be mean, a good tool. Seriously,
0: if you if you I mean my my advice to GMs is
1: look and see what people brought on their character sheets because that's what they want to do. Yeah. If they put down that they are a an assassin and they're a secret sneaky, sneaky assassin, they want to be a secret sneaky, sneaky assassin. So, you know, and it's not not so much Monty Hall, but it's like that's what they envision that they want to do. So if you're a GM stuck looking for where do I want to take the group, what stories do I want to tell, what challenges do I want to throw with them, if you have that in hand, like, okay, fine. I, I, I see that this character really likes – research okay fine let's come up with some plot points that require them to do the research right. and to try to you know uncover information and solve puzzles and um-
0: yeah I think that's so important because that's really that helps you as a GM I think that's a, a really really great point to bring up um, and you know I've asked my players for noir to come up with a character concept something really short and I've got two players who already gave me really good, character concepts and they were like four or five sentences long that's all i needed and i've already got for both of those players in noir they've given me in those few sentences such great fertile ground of things that i can use to run adventures that aren't necessarily in the plot point they've given me awesome already pre-made that they don't know about conflicts That I'm going to be able to bring into play and it's it's kind of getting me as a GM excited to run because they're invested and that's getting me a little more invested and so that you know having that advancement and making sure that you're advancing those characters however you choose to do it and then spending that time looking at what what advancement did they take because now They've they've been doing whatever X in the game, and now they've taken this advancement. Oh, so that's going to lead me to some ideas of some things I can do. So that I, I love that point.
1: Yeah. So yeah, if you guys use this as a tool, let us know how it works out. I think I think it's a kind of a cool concept of, of, you know, seeing where your characters want to go, and it, nothing says they have to keep that that same trajectory. But it, it's kind of like those asking like a seven year old what you wouldn't be when you grow up. Exactly. And you know, if they say they want to be a, an astronaut and they're serious about it. Okay, kids, get in the math classes. You know, like right, start gonna, doing
0: your math and science. Right,
1: Math and science, like you got, you got to have the background. And you know, and, and if they want to become a poet ballerina halfway through high school, fine. But you know, the I, I think if they if they a lot of times uh, characters don't have as much agency or don't feel they have as much agency. And so, you know, coming from a con game where we run a living system, I'd always review the characters that showed up because you never know who's going to be at your table, and that's kind of the hard part about running living. Um, that isn't, you know, super pre-planned like some of the other systems do living. Um, and a lot of those systems are, are, are all kind of about, like, oh, I want my, get my XP and get my gold and get my magic items and move on. Like, we never right. really did and, that. Right,
0: and those, those, those systems are written to a character level. Yeah. And, and we and you don't have to do that in Savage Worlds. No, you don't write to did. a character level or to a CR uh, in, in Savage Worlds. You don't have to do that. And you can still have people bring their... Different characters and characters that they've created to the table.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, and looking at their character sheets. So, this is so getting back to the question about giving out XP and how much do you advance people. One of the things that we did, or I did especially, and I'm pretty sure that the GMs did this too, is when you have a, spe- a particularly spectacular dice roll or character choice or something that happens in a game, um, I give out awards. I'll say, hey, do you have the. Um, elon edge or do you have the quick draw edge or do you have the you know it's depending on what or a certain skill uh, that a character you know uh, happened to use unskilled but you know the dice blew up hugely and it was very funny or successful or and you know giving out those kind of advances as character xp so in the game you know in the, the living deadlands campaign the um, twilight legion that we run the i'll often do that i'll, I'll say you know eh, give people free edges at the end like you know it was, it was a big con game and we had really fun for you know four hours you know i'll sit down and say like okay what did what did you guys do during this session that makes sense and i'll hand out edges or advancements um you know and and sometimes it's it's harder with edges because there's like there, you know a dozen requirements and you say well here take the edge ignore the requirements or you might say if it's a really kind of one of those edges that is you know uh it fits what they did and it's awesome, um, but they might not be nearly there yet. Be like, hey, look at that edge and and see what you don't have yet for requirements and, and you know, your choice, pick one of the requirements and, and bump right. that up. So whether it's a strength or whether it's another smaller edge or whatever. Um, so we give out, you know, in addition to, uh, you know, gold or whatever, um, you know, and then two or three experience points. Normally, I'd give out other edges kind of stuff with those character sheets and people usually like that. They liked being rewarded with something
0: that reflected what they did during that session. Right. And and it's it's a con game, it's a three and a half hour game. It's not gonna be, you know, campaign breaking and things like yeah, that. And it's like gonna be that.
1: six months before these guys right, they they see play him him again. again. Yeah. So
0: yeah. So I would say, yeah, in a con game, I would definitely go with that now. I, probably that's not anything I would do in a home game. Well, it's just too fast advanced. Yeah, too fast advanced. Just... But in a con game, you know, why not? Why not?
1: Yeah, don't hold back. I mean, like that's the thing. You know, you got to figure like what's fun, and you know, is it fun to advance your characters faster in con games? Absolutely. Right.
0: So, yeah. So yeah. I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty good. I think we covered that that pretty well. So again, uh, you know, kind of just find the way that works for you. If anybody's got, uh, you know, an advancement uh, system that they really like, uh, something that they've put out there, let us know. Uh, post it to Facebook. Post it to Google Plus. Email it to us. We'll give you that information at the end of the show. But yeah, we'd like we'd love to hear from you and uh, know how others um, are advancing. You know, their players.
1: Yeah, I think we've got a couple more minutes. We'll There's one other really good question, kind of in a similar vein, on uh, when do you make enemies
0: wild cards or not? So do you have that up? Yeah, this is another. It's a John Jameson. Again, uh, just a, a G G+. Uh, so he says he's planning to run a couple of old top-secret adventures. Um, and his question is, should the enemy agents and terrorists be wild cards? Um, I think this is probably one of the modules he might be addressing, but he says, In Lady in Distress, there are only a handful. Uh, there is no one on their team who is a MOOC, and they all have very light weapons in most cases. Uh, most encounters will be one versus two PCs. Uh, I think they should be wild cards, not extras, but I'm not sure. Those
1: are These are things like, here's a little secret. You can change your mind mid-session when you're playing. Like if your characters are running over your your scenario for the day. Suddenly make one of those mooks a henchman, you know? Right. Yeah. And um, or, you know, maybe your big bad actually has luck or greater luck. Um, you know, th- you know, use Benny's as a little bit of survival tokens, you know, if you know, and again, I know some people hate – that. some people think that you need to create RPGs magically beforehand to be perfectly balanced and then you just like let them run. And if things happen, they happen. Um, I don't know. I'm a little more interventionist. I think the – especially considering the, the the convention aspect, you kind of want to give people at least three hours or four, four hours of entertainment. So if you've slotted 45 minutes to an hour for a big bad and someone one-shots them – Eh, you can end it there. Yeah, you know, that's fine. Um, but if the, the very first player and the very first role and then no one else got to do stuff, like, eh, if, if you look, you at, might
0: want to go take a bathroom break
1: and come up with some more ideas, right? Uh, or if everyone's cheering and they're having a good time, fine, sit around and talk about how wonderful the adventure was for the next you know half an hour before you guys go get some food. Um, but yeah, you kind of just gauge the players. If they're all happy that that happened, by all means, let it let it ride. If it's not. Right, yeah, maybe that was just a clone, or maybe there's another big bad, or maybe you can introduce a new villain who shows up who's going to be the subject of the next conventions you know series. Whatever, but the um, I, I think yeah, roll with it. And I, I think it sounds like from this particular scenario we've got one-on-one uh, or two-on-one. Um, Any time that your players outnumber your enemies, they should almost always have you a wild card. I mean, the... Uh, in general, I think with Savage Worlds and most RPGs um, that aren't built on hit points, where you've got like one monster with 400 and then you know a bunch of players, where it's not attrition warfare, where it really is everybody who's a wild card has the same number of wounds and the same kind of ability to deflect them with bennies um, and a limited limited supply of those. The um, I would really um, make sure that you have a wild card because two characters with bennies against um you know one guy they just going to get hit An once An extra enough. yeah, yeah no way. Be, he'll be
0: he'll be done within if he doesn't go first he's not going to go most of the time yeah yeah if that mook doesn't get initiative and you have two guys with bennies who have initiative that mook is not necessarily in in my opinion going to ever get to go he'll be dead i think looking at it is between a wild card and an extra. You know, wild cards are your, according, you know, if you look at the book, those are your named villains. Those are your people who you're, you might have spent a little bit of time statting out and giving one edge and one hindrance to. So look at what is their importance in the game. What is their, why are they there in the game? Are they there to get mowed down or are they there to give that little bit more of a challenge are they there to give that monologue and then get mowed down what what is that character's reason for being in your game why is that npc there and have that as your guiding principle and especially if it's that those named characters you know you're gonna want to have those guys be wild cards
1: and this kind of brings to mind, um, so I don't know if I should admit this publicly, but I went to Midget Wrestling last Wednesday, and it was hilarious. It was like a Luchador style wrestling, and it had never been. Um, it was amazing. But the um, the first round was great, and the second round was kind of crap, because, and the difference was in the first round, I and mean, then you know, you know it's all scripted, or uh, I- improvisally scripted. Um, That's
0: why WWE is called World uh, World Wrestling Entertainment. Entertainment, right? And so, yeah.
1: Well, and here's the thing is you, you realize why some of these art forms become the way they are. Like, for instance, the reason you have, like, managers show up in WWE is because the guys are too exhausted, breathing heavily from the activity to speak to each other. And, you know, they're not mic'd up, so you can't hear them. And the reason you have the managers show up and they, you know, diss each other, and they, they, you know, and you have the color commentators, is because you need someone there to provide a little narrative for what's going on. And there's a lot of pantomiming to do, you know, just to try to show the crowd what's going on. But you know, a big part of the enjoyment is having the conflict. And in the first round, it went back and forth on which, which wrestler was ahead of the time. And the second one, it was all one-sided. It was literally um, a dude in a chicken costume just kicked the crap out of a guy dressed up as like a punk rocker the entire time. <laughs> and oh, th- th- Here's the problem. So this, this, this was in a gay club, too. And you'd think there'd be like myriad cock jokes you could make. Like, have you ever seen a 38-inch cock? Like, no, 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 no. The announcer was so shit on this midget wrestling that – there was, like, no dick jokes. And, the, like, the character was out there doing, like, profane shit. But no actual awesome commentary to go along with these these two. Like, you could have made jokes about Rock being dead and just, you know. I mean, literally, there's a, there's a guy in a chicken costume. Like, there's just, you know, there's just infinite dick jokes you could make there. Uh, kind of like, you know, chickens in the mist. Um, wonderful thing that apparently you're not supposed to be profane and weird by playing. It's supposed to be serious. Um, yeah, no. No way. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah,
0: that, that's... A, that. That don't happen, right? No,
1: but the and so it was really disappointing because it was all one sided. So, getting back to role playing with this is if you want your big bad to be impressionable, he has to hurt your players. Yeah, and that might mean that you have a little GM fiat or a little GM planning on, you know, the battleground gets chosen by the the big bad, and that therefore. You know, his lieutenants come out first and then he gets the drop on everybody. You know, he might come in on an airship or might spring a surprise or whatever. Um, and and that way you can soften up your characters, get some of their bennies out of their hands with the lieutenants and then have the big bad show up. And the um, in, a, in a position with the right number of edges, whether he's quick and level-headed or both, um, or he gets the drop based upon, you know, your GM fiat, that he's – allowed to rough up the characters before they get to respond.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you can kind of go into regular rounds. Um, but that, that's kind of an p- important part of it is the back and forth is what makes memorable action scenes. And if it's all one-sided, if you have characters who are super optimized on their initiative kind of cards, uh, card draws or whatever, or you, know, you allow that to happen and your guy gets one-shotted, and I think that's a little bit poor planning on your part. And not to say that you have to kill your players, but, you know, roughing them up is part of right. the fun. Right,
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I go back to this and, and one of my friends says this all the time. Don't necessarily look at it. It's not you versus the players. You're there. You're all around the table. You want to make a good – have a good game session and a, and a good story Together, collaboratively, but that does not mean in any way, shape, or form that all of your extras, your henchmen, your big bad have to roll over on their belly and get kicked. Yeah, that—that's not what that means. By it not being you versus the players, you need to still play your NPCs. You know, I—I I have somebody in our gaming group that um, used to be. That way is that, that per, uh, he would get all upset when a monster would do what a monster would do to him. And he would get all butthurt and all upset, but then cheer like a motherfucker when he's the one murderizing the monster. Yeah. And it's like, okay, the, the monsters, NPCs, whatever, your, your opposition, they're your opposition, they're going to have things they can do to oppose you. Right. And so and that's where all, the joy of beating ups- them right. comes from. Don't it. get all upset when your GM plays that level headed, quick, big bad who's intelligent. And you have a good GM who's using the rules. Notice what I said there using the rules and is making life difficult on your PC. That's what you should want, right? And that's the thing is,
1: it's not. It's without the risk of character death, you're playing a different kind of game, and that's fine. I mean, you, you can definitely have a game where you know it's kind of understood everyone wants to survive, but it's it's a lot harder to make successes as significant if they're kind of a given. And um, actually, that goes back. So the the one thing that popped into mind about character advancement that I didn't touch on now is the. And it kind of it kind of works in with the Benny economy is one thing I don't think really works at all in Savage Worlds, and I think no one I know even uses this anymore. Is um, spending excess Bennies on XP points?
0: Oh, you can't anymore. That, that's not even in the rule. Yeah, that, that was the in the one of the first. Um, Editions of Savage Worlds. And as soon as Explorer Edition came out, was gone. they got rid of it.
1: Yeah. So it used to
0: be there. It used to be a rule that you could spend excess bennies for XP. And
1: that's just, to me, that just kind of stifles the betting economy. Oh, and, horribly. Horribly. Because you have that person who's going to
0: hoard them, and then that's going to, in turn, make your GM go, well, screw you guys. If you're just going to sit there and hoard them, I'm not going to hand any out.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, true. And if you if you, you, know, you can't play with Joker's Wild, then because basically every time you, you're Joker's Wild, you're handing out a free advance to the table, essentially. You know, not, not everybody, but you know, you got five players. Boom, there's an advance, somewhere right. unless you're using them. And uh, you know, that's way that that kind of scale just doesn't work. So that's just one thing that you know. Anyone ever thought about using that again? Yeah, don't. It just yeah, it doesn't. It goes against the kind of fun spirit. And and again, if you're using it, and it works for you
0: go for it but uh, yeah i i I completely agree with you not a good thing
1: yeah so you know on the yeah do you make them wild cards or not i'd say start with yes and the you know if they roll over your players like here's the thing about the genre especially the the spy genre um there's always the conventions in the genres to have the bad guys leave the good guys alive and just get away Um, yeah watch
0: watch james bond Right, watch all the James Bond movies. Yeah, you know, tie them
1: up with a laser coming towards their crotch, and then see if they can escape. Or um, even you know, and, and similarly, you know, when you do that as a GM to allow the the the, the players to escape if it was too much for them, if you don't want to kill them or whatever. Um, again, you can also there's also the tropes um, from the the pulpy Indiana Jones where the bad guys get to just disappear, like. You know, even if they're bested in combat, they, you know, throw a smoke bomb and disappear off stage or, you know, a helicopter comes in or whatever it is.
0: Um Yeah, uh Triple Ace Games in their um their Daring Adventures series, their pulp, has a great mechanic for letting the big bad get away. And if you let the big bad get away because it's pulp, you all the players get a Benny. Yeah. And I think that's fine because you're 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 Using that Benny to really reinforce that pulp aspect of the game well, by saying, "Hey, you're gonna, you guys are gonna get something out of this. Don't look at this as a defeat. Yeah, it's a success. It's a success. It's a mid episode success.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're redefining. Like this is this is part of the genre where we don't kill big bads." All the time, every ten minutes, because you can in Savage Worlds. I mean, you know, you can you can totally wipe out characters with exploding dice, and um, that's what makes the system fun too. Um, So you still get your exploding dice, and you still get that fun. And here's a betting to show that this is a success. But I still want to use the narrative we've built up with this character going forward.
0: He's gonna, you know, he's gonna come back at some point, you know. And I think looking at, you know wild cards versus extras again like you said one on one yeah um but if it's going to be you know you're you're going again just be throwing pe- throwing you know npcs you know think about what you want to do there I, one of the things i was thinking about for some reason popped into my brain no idea why was venture brothers monarch oh yeah he's a wild card but then all of his minions of course, are going to be extras. So you, you wouldn't want to make all of those guys into wild cards. You wouldn't even want to make them into a henchman. You know? So just kind of uh, the key to there, I'm going to repeat myself, which I do occasionally. The key, to, I think, the whole key is what is their purpose in that scene or in your game? Think about that. That will guide you to say: Is this a wild card? Is this a henchman? Is this an extra?
1: Yeah, and just look at the numbers. You need multiple mooks per player. You know, right? Th- there should probably be half as many henchmen as players,
0: and, and a lot of times, if you look at a lot of the adventures, vast majority of the things that I always see in Savage Worlds when you're doing extras is two per two per player character. Yeah. So yeah, so double the yeah. one player characters,
1: or there would be. Although it been like one per player plus three, right? Yes, know? yep. and yeah, you know, in those three, you would be like named, or they have stats, or they have you know, and that. So that's in general, that's enough for a uh, bitey morsel of a combat or encounter.
0: Yeah, so let, let's let's real quick um, talk about henchmen because we keep saying you know use them as henchmen. Henchmen is a is a rule. Uh, I I think it might have came from Triple Ace games, but I know it's somewhere, and if I'm not mistaken, the henchmen are basically, um, they get one wound. One, yeah. And one Benny, but they don't get a wild die. Yeah. So you're still not giving them the wild die, but you're making them just a little bit beefier by giving them that one wound. So they're not just up, down, off the table. They can take that single wound, and so they're... Slightly more <laughs> robust than your extras, but of course, not as cool as your um, wild cards. So that's the henchmen. Yeah, well, so we for, keep talking about henchmen. For,
1: for Monarch, like Monarch would totally be wild card. His wife would be a mon- wild card. And then those two dudes who are basically like complaining about each other all the time, they'd be henchmen. Yeah, be they two, would be two, his henchmen. Yeah. And then every other butterfly
0: weirdo would be a Mook. Oh my God. What is his wife's name? Dr. Oh my God. What I can't know. think of it. All of a sudden, somebody's going to write us in and now go, you "Oh Google, my god, you guys are so dumb." Google it, and
1: we'll edit. Oh, she's got a great name too. Yeah,
0: and like totally, a guy plays that voice too. Oh yeah, is it is a guy. Yeah, I can't remember it. So we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna get Venture Brothers hate emails. I need to like,
1: I need to binge Venture Brothers, and then Archer.
0: Uh, I've heard Archer has been really good, and it, the, this new season's supposed to be really good because it's some sort of. Aren't they going to like an island or yeah, it sounded like or it was, something? I want to watch. Didn't they do one with noir? not too yeah. long ago. Yeah, and I'm, so, I'm behind.
1: I'm so behind on the
0: Archers. Yeah. yeah, I used to love Archer, but yeah, I got to get back to that. I like I like what Archer's doing, is Archer is doing kind of... All you know, the genres a we play in Savage World World genre right. show. There's yeah. like Tropicana. Right, and yeah, the Noir. So they're doing all those kinds of yeah. seasons that you could look at a season of that and go, ah, I, oh, I can I can data mine that for all kinds of good ideas. Like Steve Kellison, are you listening? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Steve, we, we're going to want some more Archer uh, run uh, for uh, Friday night bar fights so anything else on wild cards extras again I, I think we did a pretty good job if anybody else is out there's got any ideas we'll uh we'll throw out what we always do drop us a line uh, you yeah know. U- upcoming shows um, we've already got one in the band, but we got two interviews with Richard Wolcock.
1: And um, the very next show is as we told you before, we're doing
0: Caleb Sunstead and Sounds like crow. So and that may be an entire episode because we, we've got you know, oh, no,
1: that will be we've Chris
0: Chris spent a lot of time, I'm kind of embarrassed because I, I threw some uh, some questions out to uh, Google on, on a Google doc and threw those out to out to Chris Christopher and said, uh, you know here's my eight questions that I came up with and he got me back a document that, basically put my questions to shame. So you're gonna get some good in-depth questions. Um, Caleb actually uh, sent me a tweet last night where we've been talking back and forth and, and he was like, oh man, those are awesome questions. I cannot wait to do this. So he's really he was really impressed. He's like he did say in there so, so we'll have to give him some issue. He's like, I don't know if I can really talk about savage worlds with two guys who know so much about savage worlds. So, you know. We're not snobs. No, we're not snobs. We're, we'll uh, It'll be a good interview. So, yeah, that's coming up. Richard Wilcox coming up. Any Anything else? We don't really, convention-wise, uh, we're both going to Gen Con. Are you still going? Uh, up in the air still. Okay. We'll see. I'm going to Gen Con. Oh, speaking of that, real quick, we actually submitted Buccaneer Through Hell and High Water oh, for, for any the Any Awards. Yeah. So uh, we have sent uh, uh, Brett uh, sent books to all the judges, so all of the judges for the Ennies also have copies of our book. So we are uh, out there. Um, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed to to possibly get nominated for an Inny Award. Uh, if it happens, uh, it'll be awesome. Uh, if it doesn't happen, hey, it was our first book. I'm sure that uh, you know Chris and I have some uh, irons in the fire. We're working on some other things. So you know, maybe someday we'll have another shot. But uh, and we're busy, man. We have all these appointments to be writing new stuff. Like tomorrow, yes. uh, Monday.
1: Yeah. Monday we're getting, you know, we're yeah, Monday, cool Monday's stuff. our
0: writer's group meeting and a uh, little uh, writer's group meeting and a little, maybe a little role-playing in there too, uh, which is kind of fun. You know, we kind of sit around and, and have a writer's meeting and then a uh, couple hours of role-playing. You know, we're doing a ETU just to kind of get everybody in that Savage Worlds frame of mind and things like that. And hopefully uh, sometime in the next couple months we might be able to tell you what we're working on.
1: Oh, well, um, we are planning on doing a podcast for
0: it. Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna yeah we'll get we'll we'll do a, we're gonna do a lot of stuff around what we're working on. <laughs> so uh, you know, keep listening. And I hate being secretive. It's so bizarre. I hate when other
1: people do that. And it's like, yeah, just tell us what you're doing. Unfortunately, but uh, this one isn't isn't our baby, baby. So we can't like, right. leak as much as we leak yes, about the other we projects. Were, we're doing. You know, we
0: were we were uh, NDA asked to be a part of this project and uh, pretty much NDA on it. So we want to really make sure that we're um, following through with our commitment to that, um, and doing, doing the right thing and make sure that, that, uh, we're following through, but it'll be exciting. I'm, I'm excited. Um, you know, it's going to be a lot of work, uh, to get it done, but it's, it's going to be fun. I think, I think people will really like it. So anything else? I think that's it. Yeah, we've got a lot of fun stuff coming All right. up. Well, without further ado, uh, let us, uh, if you have any questions, concerns, anything like that, again, hit us up on G+, hit us up on Facebook, subscribe to the show on iTunes, leave us a five... A star review let us know how we're doing uh, also if you have any questions concerns uproar at savagecast.com we would love to hear from you we'd love to answer your questions uh, again I think we're, we're kind of getting into the, uh, the the swing of things where we're able to um, get together a little more often and, and get a little more recording done so hopefully we'll have a a few more shows out I know there's a couple of these savage worlds podcasts I don't know how they do it but they're Already up into the fifties and sixties of, of episodes, and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll continue to record. We love what we're doing. We'll continue to get shows out there um, as much as we can. So, uh, without further ado, this has been Chris Savage, Mommy Fox, and
1: Christopher Savage,
0: Bull Landauer.
1: Let us Savages.